Welcome to Jazz Piano Skills. I'm Dr. Bob Lawrence. It's time to discover, learn, and play jazz piano. Today, I continue my interview with jazz legend Jamie Abersall. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, part one of my interview with Jamie, then I want to encourage you to do so before jumping into this episode, part two. As I mentioned last week, Jamie Abersall has, without question, impacted the world of jazz education more than any other individual ever, past, current, and quite possibly future. No one, and I mean no one, has done more to help thousands of aspiring jazz musicians from around the world to discover, learn, and play jazz. Jamie Abersall is a highly decorated professional saxophonist, entrepreneur, publisher, author, innovator, educator, and of course, jazz legend. Jamie has earned honorary doctorate degrees. He's been inducted into the Jazz Educators Hall of Fame and countless other uh, accomplishments as well and accolades. In fact, it's best if you just take a few minutes to read his bio at jazzpianoskillspodcast.com to really appreciate everything that Jamie Abersall has done and achieved. Now, both the audio and video formats are available for this podcast episode. And of course, you can listen to the audio version of this episode through any of the popular podcast directories, such as iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and on and on and on. Or you can go directly to to the Jazz Panel Skills Podcast website, jazzpanelskillspodcast.com, where you can also watch the video of this episode of this interview as well, which I strongly recommend that you do. Now, it is my great pleasure and honor to welcome back to Jazz Piano Skills, Mr. Jamie Abersall. There, I, I can remember a very professional, well, I'll say it was John Laporta. Uh-huh. I was at a big band camp at Stores, Connecticut, and we had gone out with somebody in their car to get an ice cream cone. I'm in the back seat, and I'd just come out with my first play-along record. Of course, it looked like this right. with LP, you know, right. that I lugged on the airplane up there and was trying to sell a couple to the students. And he must have understood that my first three tracks were Dorian Manners. So he's eating his ice cream, and I'm in the back seat, and the guy's driving, and John says, I don't consider to be the Dor- the Dorian Minor scale to be an entity in itself. Well, that went right over my head until I got back to the dormitory, and then I realized he didn't like my new approach to jazz uh-huh. improvisation of, uh-huh. of telling the student what the scale is. Uh-huh. At that time, I didn't even darken in the card tones. As a matter of fact, there wow. was a scale page, and I just put the symbol F minor period, yeah. F minor seven. Yeah. They were supposed to know that scale. If they didn't know it, they went back to the page. But my point in saying this is, I think I was of the opinion early on that if you showed the person the scale that's being sounded, that would help them to play the sound and to possibly make music and improvise and feel good about what they're doing and not give up. Not yeah, give right. Up. Yeah. Very, you know, very it's important. In- yeah. It's, it's very interesting, Jamie. I just interviewed uh, on the show... Uh, this last month, Bert Ligon, who is a, a, a UNT North Texas grad, and he had a, f- a really funny comment that has just stuck with me. He said, "I he goes, I must admit, Bobby said I don't practice scales anymore." 
and and uh, and and it hit me odd when he first said it. He goes, but I do practice. He said I do practice arpeggios all the time with passing tones. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. Ooh. right? What a sneaky way to say the same thing. Hey, Bert's book, he's got one or two books out. Very, very good. Excellent book. Very excellent books. But, you know, but he was making that point of how important, you know how you blacked in the chord tones, right? You got your scale written out in your books and you black in. That's basically, he's saying that's how he hears it. He hears hears that that chord, that arpeggio inside that that scale, right? Right. So he he says, I practice my arpeggios with passing tones. Hmm. Uh, yeah, interesting. Do you mind if I add you to my big uh, jazz email list? Oh, no, I'd love that. Yeah, because be uh, a couple of months ago, we had a discussion amongst the six, seven, eight, nine, ten musicians about Coleman Hawkins versus Lester Young, the uh, cardinal vertical approach right. versus the horizontal approach. And the so linear, forth. right. Yeah, that'd be, that. Yeah, I'd enjoy. I'd enjoy getting in on that discussion. That would be fantastic. Can I play one more thing on the piano? Oh, absolutely, Jamie. You can play whatever you want. <laughs> I, have, I have nowhere to go today, man. <laughs> I wish I could play the piano. Okay, uh, this. This. I you oh. can't see that. Okay. Here's something that I like to do, and that is. Uh, well, I just can't. Yeah, there you, you go. Can't. Oh, here, I'll lower it a little bit. I, you can't see it, though. It's not good. And I don't want to touch this thing. I'll get it done. Okay, <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I, I do this for all instrumentalists. And I always okay. do it once, once a week at the camp on the grand piano. Sitting on the stage this. Now, once you're listening to this, I'm going to put a B flat in the melody above middle C. And that note is going to be in every scale, every card I hit, okay? And I want to show you the possibility. Oh, right. Yeah, so I'm right. going to start with a B-flat triad. Now, the bass note is going to come up in half steps. So when okay. I go to B, that B-flat on the top is now the major seven. Correct. When I go to C, it's the lowered seventh of a minor, R, a major, R. Right. That's exactly now right. Now six... I'm in the key of C sharp or D flat now. Now the, the melody note is there. That's a major part, or the key B minor. When I go to D, that B flat is suddenly the sharp five, the pretty note is count. Now let's go to E flat. That B flat is the fifth of major. Correct. Right. Minor. Could be half yep. a Half the minute, right. I hit that card right. And now we're going to go to E. And that B flat is a sharp four. Now we go to F, and it's the fourth of minor. And usually when I get here, I do something like this. Right. I say this this sound is part of salsa music, you know. And then then on some signal they go. They stay right. there for two days, and then on some signal, <laughs> they come back right. down. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Okay. And then you go to F sharp. You still got that B flat up there right. as the third of major. R could be the third of dominant. Now, when you get to the G, it's the sharp nine. Yeah. Yeah. Go to A flat, it's the ninth of major. 
or dom. I'm sorry, major or dominant or minor. Right. You go to the A and the root comes up with a F sharp triad in the melody. C sharp, F sharp, and A sharp. And that chord there I associate with one of Wayne Shorter's tunes. And then the next note in the left hand is going to be the B flat, and you're back to a triad. There you go. So if I were to do that fast. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You have to have a pretty strong understanding of harmony. Uh, yes, you do. Or a whole lot of messing around. Right. Or a whole lot of messing around. You know, um, the uh, the same that same gentleman, Warren Parrish, who said who told me that, you know, oh, and he he always after the tritone sub comment that he made, he, he, he from there on referred to me as college boy because I, 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 I used the term tritone sub. He referred to me yes. as college boy. Right. But, the same, he, he also said to me when I was a young boy, he said, do you really want to improvise? Do you really want to improvise? I said, yes. And he goes, do you want to get good at playing melodies and, and improvise? I said, yes, of course I do. And then he said, well, then study harmony. Hmm. And, study and the, hard. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and, and I thought, study harmony, because at 14, I was thinking harmony and melody were two different things. I didn't realize they were one and the same. Hmm. And, and, and again, he was, he was stressing the importance that melody flowing from that harmonic understanding of the yeah. chords, that the chords that you're playing, mm -hmm. you know? So I thought that, uh, I thought, I thought that was very fascinating. It's stuck, another comment that just stuck with me all my life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, have you ever thought much about the left and the right brain and how it affects a person's approach to the keyboard? Art to music, art to melody, art to yeah, their own. I, I, yeah, and I have and I have students ask me that all the time about that, and I, and, and a kind of a tongue in cheek answer I always give them. I always say, hey, you know what? I want you to use both sides of the brain. Exactly. Yeah. I want you to. I want you to use the whole thing. Yeah, I have this description, uh, or it's a picture of the left and the right brain and what goes on. It's from uh, Joe Raposo's book, The Whole Brain Approach. A whole brain approach to improvisation. Yes. Wow. And I, I got that back in the 80s from him, and it made me stop and think. I, I grew up as a right brain person. Right. Scales were something you did that was, it was it was not fun. It was not fun. If, if my teacher way back right. there said, Jamie, next week, after playing the piano and practicing for a year or two, next week I want you to come in and play, uh, uh, I want you to play a little solo. I want you to improvise. I want you to make something up. Boy, don't right. you know I'd still be playing the piano. And I wouldn't, I had to wander over to banjo, sax, flute, piano, right. Oboe, right. Because all this other stuff. I would have been a piano player, you know, and right. I would have had the chops to do what I hear yeah. in my head. Right. But that, well, you know, but you know, you, you grew up in a time, though, that you had to be, uh, you know, what, left brain uh, focused because the the books the materials didn't really start surfacing till the sixties right till right. like the like you know I, the very first book I had was the the old John McHegan jazz pianist book right, right. He had a little he had a three volume a yes, three yes. volume three, oh do you yeah remember, do you remember that book that series oh yeah that in I've, fact I've I, got I, I, I yeah and I and I and I use that chart all the time yeah the the sixty jazz chords out of the out of the McHegan book right called the yeah. the, the the jazz pianist you know exactly. But but until then, but until then, no. you had to just listen and poke around and roam and be creative. Right. 
right? Um, yes. Uh, you made me think of something else. Uh, we were at uh, Elmhurst. We did our camps at Elmhurst College right. for a year. Right. And one night, uh, the faculty were playing like they would do. Three groups would play a night. But on this particular night, a famous jazz piano player who was working with me uh, was accompanying and playing piano for a tenor and a trumpet. And during the tenor's solo on some tune, he, he kind of got off. So from a piano standpoint, when you hear somebody get off, you start feeding him some cards to help him get back on. Right, correct, right. correct, okay. correct. Well, so uh, what did this person do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> right. They stopped playing and kind of sat back on the keyboard. And I'm sitting over here in the lobby. It was in a big open room listening. And I said, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. I said, give him some cards, put him back on track. Well, help he, him. He didn't do. He didn't help him. No. Oh, so I'm, I'm I'm telling you, piano players out there, that this is an important story in my life. When the concert, when that concert was over, I took him aside and I said, "I don't appreciate what you did." And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You know what I'm talking about. So and so right. was lost, and you didn't right. give him the help that you should have given him." Hey, right. man, these guys shouldn't be playing if they can't keep their place. I said, "Hey, oh, boy. these people are not playing six nights a week like you." These right. people are educators. They're here because I asked them to come here to teach, not right. to play on a concert. But right. it's their choice to play or to not to play. And it should be your choice to always help the people plan. Because hey. you're I make a right. fool of these people in front of all these students here. So that was the end of that. You yeah, know? yeah I, I, I don't know of anyone, if they're being completely honest, who, has, who hasn't got lost or turned around in a tune or turned around in time. It happens to everybody. Oh, yeah. And, and, we, all, and we all need that help once in a while, man. You know, we, I, I've, sure. looked up, I've looked up many times at the drummer like, hey, I'm turned around and he's got to yeah. give me some kind of right. a rim shot or something to get me back. Oh, there's one, yeah. you know. Well, you know, if it really gets turned around, you look at the hi-hat. If all of a sudden the hi-hat's on one and three. Right. That's right. You know, that's, that's exactly Yep, that's exactly right. So, okay, um, talk uh, real, talk about uh, improvisation practice, right? Uh, this is this is almost seems like to a lot of people. This almost seems like contradictory terms. Improvisation, yeah. practicing improvisation, because they're thinking, wait a minute, improvisation is isn't that supposed to be improvisation? Yeah. So, what what would you say to listeners about? the do's and don'ts about starting to really develop good habits of practicing improvisation? Well, I think uh, it comes back to the scales and the arpeggios. It sure does. I, I think it comes back to that. And I think that's where some of your classical piano books for the scales, what are the journey? Is yes, that it? the journey, hand and journey, uh, right? Uh, yeah. I, I've noticed over the years that young players that come to the camp with a classical piano background over from scales and so forth, their improvisations and their solos seem to come together quicker and they're easier to teach mm -hmm. because right. they're not fumbling over the fingering for various scales. They're not putting a thumb in the wrong spot or, or you know, they don't know how to go under or this, that, and the other. Right. It right. just, it sounds fumbly. Um, so I think the classical training for scales is very, very important. Uh, what was the rest of that question? Well, just practicing. Oh, improvisation, it, it, yes. Practicing uh, improvisation. Okay, so I think you come back to this thing, Bob, and that is, do I really have it? Hmm. My soloing does not sound very good. My practice sessions are not very good. Whew. I just wonder if I ought to give up, you know. Hmm. The yeah. ego comes in right. uh, and, and puts fear into you, F-E-A-R, <laughs> false yep. evidence 
assumed real. F-E-A-R. Fear. Very good. Very good. False evidence assumed real. I can't do this. So I think most of us have a continuous battle until we get over the hump with your ego. And it would like you to go get a pizza, put a video on, call your friend, do this, do that. Don't practice. Right. Don't practice. Right. But, But I think if you can get past that hump, and at the same time realize that everybody, well, like I say, anyone can improvise, and they can't. And it's like my friend from Louisville that wrote me years ago and said, Jamie, I, I don't agree with that saying. Da, 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 da. And I waited a week uh-huh. back, and I said, I think you're thinking that I'm thinking. Everybody's going to sound like a great chancer. That's yeah. not what I'm thinking. What right. I'm thinking is, if this kid can place eight bars and keep his place and play melodies that mm-hmm. come from his head, and the right hand on the keyboard at a slow tempo with my volume one play along track, and what he plays is original and yeah. new, and I, Jamie, have never heard it before, and it sounds like melodies. Right. Anyone can yeah. improvise. Yeah, that's right. You're right. You know. Yeah, you're right. I, you know, are you familiar with? Um, there's a music. Hang on, let me grab this book. There's a music. Uh, philosopher. When I was at North Texas, I was turned on to this guy. It, it's called uh, Musicine by no. Chris by Christopher Small. And you notice how he spelled it, music yeah. right with that K. Mm-hmm. Well, his whole thing is is that we got to stop treating music like a noun and start treating it like a verb. It's what people do. And that oh. it's it's really a birthright. It's like a birthright of speech. It's a birthright. Yeah to be able to express ourselves musically. And there are cultures, different cultures around the world where everybody, it's just everyone expresses themselves musically. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean, just like in our culture, you know, not all of us are gifted with words. So all of us are not going to, all of us are not going to be great speakers. All of us are not going to be great writers, but we never say to any child here, don't speak, don't don't write. Express yourself, express yourself, right? So mm-hmm. in in music, what you're saying, I concur with 100%. It's your right to improvise. It's your yeah. right to express yourself with this art form. Do that. It's not mean, it doesn't mean you're going to sound like Oscar Peterson. In fact, I had a teacher one time say to me, Jamie, he, he said, Bob, because I, I didn't, I, I said, I wasn't really, uh, excited about transcribing Oscar Peterson, and 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 I and I and I used it. I used. I said to him, I said, I don't really want to sound like Oscar Peterson. And he said to me, uh, he said, Bob, he said, you will never sound like Oscar Peterson. Right. And 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 my heart fell to my feet. But then you know what he said, Jamie? I love this. He looked at me and he said, and Bob, Oscar Peterson will never sound like you. Oh, that's good. Is that yeah. not good? Right. Yeah. And so he was trying to say, you become you play yeah. your find you and play you. And and what you're saying, while everyone can improvise, you're encouraging everybody to find yourself in it's, this music. Sure. Everybody's not going to be John Coltrane. You know, you mentioned Oscar Peterson. I have so many memories. I'm 82 and I'm on my way to 83. I'm at Indiana University. I've got my little web core set up on the chair, record player. The big old pianos over here, and I got my saxophone out, and I'm listening to Oscar Peterson at the uh, concert bow or something, uh, the windmill on the cover, the jacket. And he's uh-huh. playing. And I put the record on, and I'm just listening to the music. And all of a sudden, I raise the needle up and I say, Was that a scale he just played? Now, I'm in college. 
And I'd love to know which year this was. Was I 17, 18, 19, or 20? So I go over to the piano and play just a little bit of what he played. And I say, oh, my gosh. He's playing scales, just just like I've been playing for 18 years. But, wow, how how fast does he do that, you know? And then moving years on, a month ago, I'm up at Bloomington doing this jam session with 21 people in this room. And it's it's not a good situation for a jam session because each person is going to take one course of blue bossa or one course of blues. Right, too many right, people. Right. But there's a little clarinet player. He looks like he's about 10 years old. He came a little late. He sat up over by the piano. He's got his piece of music, which I've given him, and we're doing blue bossa. Yeah. He plays a chorus, and I walk over to him because he's lost. I take my finger, and I point to the page, and I put him back on track. And I said, now, let's take another chorus. Now, just play the roots. And he goes, do, do, and I move my finger, do, 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 he goes through a chorus, and I say, okay, take another chorus, play the first three notes of the scale, and he goes, one, two, do, 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 da, 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 he goes all the way through, 20 people clap. Now, and I thought about that on the way home. I got 90 miles to drive, and I'm going to stop at the Golden Corral and get supper because I'm starving. <laughs> but I'm Corral. thinking, why did they clap? Well, that's oh, so nice. Man. Give encouragement to the kid. Yeah. I tell you why I think they clap, because they could hear the harmony to the tune. Yeah. And all the boy was doing was playing the root and then yeah. the one, two, three. You want to hear the tune. You want to hear the harmony to the tune being played. And that's your brain right. can do it. But the fingers can't find it unless they're equipped with their scales, and proper scales, and proper cards. You right. know? Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, you don't have to, with students, what you're talking about there, you know, you don't have to be fancy. You could play, no. great, you could play great music and sound fantastic and play oh, very little. Yeah. yeah. Right? Sure. So we get the, there's this myth that we have to fill up, we have to fill up the room with all kinds of yeah. notes. You know. Well, that's the. I think that's the ego talking to us because we feel like every time we play, we're being compared. And even if there's nobody in the room, God is listening to you and right. judging. You know, yes. your soul. Right. He's right. judging your practice habits. You're right. judging your sound, your articulation, right. your breathing, all of this stuff. Uh, but that's not the case. It's uh, it's an eternal fight. I think with the ego, to get to the point where you feel good about yourself and what you're playing, and this is you. And and you will never sound like Oscar Peterson, right? And you never sound, yeah. Like, you, you, know? you know what? Yeah, one of my favorite Bill Evans quotes. Bill Evans said, "You know, it's it's ironic that me that being a professional performer, he said I'd much rather perform, I'd much rather play with audit without an audience." Mm. And when you when you hear that quote initially, you think, "Well, that's odd," but when yeah. you really think about it, what he's saying is that. He can put all that aside. He can put yeah. all that. He can put all that ego aside. He can put all that stuff aside, and sit in his living room and play, and and be him, yeah, and and, and be truly one hundred percent him. And yeah. I thought, man, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall. When yeah, he's just sitting at home in his living room by himself playing. Right, right. Yeah. Holy cow! Right. Mm -hmm. So, okay, Jamie, what about? And this is, I got to be honest with you, your play-alongs helped a ton with this. Time development. How 
should students practice time? We don't talk about that enough, right? No. The, the practicing of time. Yeah. We're always talking about practicing scales, arpeggios, chords, voicings. But w- what about time? Um, how would you encourage students to approach practicing time? Because quite honestly, what we were just talking about, you could play very little, but if you're playing in time with a good right. feel and a good groove, you're sounding fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can take two or three notes and and you can make those notes swing. And there, there are several things here. I practice with a metronome. Number one, practice with the metronome on two and four. One, do 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 uh, recently, uh, and they didn't play. They, it was an instrumentalist, and they didn't play in time. We had a good rhythm section, but they they played across the time, and I thought that was very interesting. And then when I played, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that this person's foot would start tapping when I was playing because I play time. Correct. Correct. Which made me think about: Do people play time? Oh yeah, they play time. Now. Uh, so I think practicing with a metronome, number one. And number two, for beginners, just playing with my play-along records. Most of them keep pretty good time. And That's, some of the ones that right. used to rush, I've had them straighten out electronically now. Okay? Right. There right. were certain rhythm sections that would rush. They would get excited. They get I excited. Think, oh, That's, and that's a normal thing. Yes, it is. And I think most of us agree that rushing a little bit, hopefully not a whole lot, it gets exci- gives excitement to the piece that you're playing. But Correct. if you But if you slow down... It's like somebody pushing you into a grave, and, and you you don't you know it's like dying. You, you, so slowing down is is worse. We right. played a tune here two days ago, in three four Blue Daniel, boodle it up, boodle it up, boodle it up, By the time the piano, the bass, the drums, and myself had sold it, boodle it up, boodle it up, I couldn't play the melody on the way out. But that's hilarious. We we all oh. agreed to rush, but I don't oh. think anybody could pinpoint when it took off because right. it was gradual. So that's right. where you're known, I think. And the play-alongs become helpful because they keep the tempo the same. Right. Um, right. So I think right. practice in time. But you also want to think if you're if you're a, a wind player, trumpet, clarinet, sax, then you have to get your articulation together. And inside my jazz handbook. Yep are two pages of how to practice scales and cards using articulation that Sonny Rollins practiced, and he showed Freddie Hubbard. Freddie Hubbard showed my good friend in college, Dick Washburn. Dick Washburn right. showed me, and I worked about a month on it in college, and it was one of the hardest things I ever did. You just And you can do this with your piano, too, of course, with the fingers. You're going to play just a major scale up to the ninth and back down. Boo, da, do, 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 da, do, da, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm accenting the one. Now you're going to accent two. Boo da do 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 da do do Yes, da do da. I'm having right. a really think to do that. Right. I worked on that for a month, and I got to where I could play my saxophone. Do da do 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 do
the, those humps in articulation are right. what we need. All right? right. And that comes from up here, but it comes from practicing. And on the piano, you need to practice it. Oh, that's right. You have to be able to track time. You have to be able to track time. And, you know, uh, I had a piano teacher. <clears throat> you know, again, when I was young, I, I thought he was a nut, too. You know, all these all these piano teachers I thought were nuts until I got older and I realized how brilliant they are. Uh, they were. But he used to sit there. <clears throat> Jamie, he used to sit there and he'd establish a, a pulse time and then he would sit there and comp. And he's hearing like bass and drums in his head. He's just comping. And, yeah. and, and you could hear, you could feel, even as a 14-year-old, I could feel the time. Mm. I could feel the time in his comping. And uh, and he would do that for like five minutes, and I'm just sitting there kind of listening. And, and then he'd finally look up and, and smile, and he'd look at me, and he goes, I could do this all day. And, oh, and, and I you thought— had, You had some great teachers. Oh well, thank you. I, I absolutely did, and 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 I and I remember thinking, man, he can do that all day. There's no melody. There's yeah. no. There's you know, he's just comping. He's just comping. He's he's playing. What you know, I look back on that. He was practicing. He was playing time. And yeah. time, as you know, Jamie, time feels really good. Oh, it does. <laughs> uh, you remind me of a story. A month ago. I put my earphones on at the kitchen table. My wife had gone to bed. I'm going to listen to this uh, interview with uh, uh, Jimmy Heath. <clears throat> no, no, no. James Moody, Ron oh, Carter. Wow. Right. And they're talking about kind of blue, the Miles Davis right, thing. Have you right. heard that? Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so it's one hour, and I never do this. I put the headphones on. I'm at the table, turn the TV off, and I listen to the whole thing. It's very interesting. And on the way out, it's going boom, be down. Shoot. You know, they're playing the, uh, so what? Yeah, exactly. They're playing that. So yeah. uh, here, here's what I'm, I've never, done, I'd never done this before. But as that background is going, I'm singing at the table to myself. And I, I'm not singing, I'm thinking. Okay. And then and it went on for a minute and it kind of fades out. And then it stopped and the show stopped. So the screen goes black. But I'm still here in the rhythm section, and I'm still improvising. And then I start thinking the fingerings on my saxophone. This went on for about five minutes, Bob. I've never, ever done this before. Wow. When I finished, I said, that was the best solo I ever played. Oh, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to just keep doing that. Just mentally sing. Oh, it just, and it felt, we're talking about time. It felt so good. And it gives right. me a chill up the back of my head just telling you this short story because I'd like to be there all the time. Forget the saxophone. Forget the piano. Just give me that little that little time thing in the background. That, one, that, one, oh, and another thing. I, I never moved up to E-flat minor. Oh, you never did? No. I was just, And, of course, I've never, ever done that. That tune has two scales. Uh -uh. Correct. I just stayed on D minor, and I went out across this musical desert and it was getting close to midnight, probably. And that was the best I felt musically. And I had no instrument. I was just thinking. And all it took was one little scale. Yeah. And I, is that right? It, it was in, endless ideas, simple little ideas. No, right. no fast stuff that I often feel right. I need to play. Just simple right. stuff. Right. So, oh, it's so great. It's 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 fantastic, right? What you and what you were doing there, not only time, but like I tell students, you were 
you know, I tell students all the time to isolate sound, right? So yeah. isolate, isolate a D minor sound, isolate right. a, a half diminished sound, whatever, right? Isolate that sound. And then I tell students, bathe, bathe in that sound, right. bathe in it, right? And that's yeah. what, you know, if you bathe in that sound and in time, could you, you could do that all day and all night, yeah. could you not? When I finished that little mental session that night, I said, man, I'd love to play with the rhythm section. But then I immediately thought, I don't think I could get a piano player to just play simply and not get in the way. And I, the bass player is not going to play those kind of lines that I was imagining. And the drummer would maybe be too busy. So right. I, I'm not going to do that. I think I'll just keep this in my mind. I'll save it and tell Bob today about <laughs> okay, good. You, you brought I I haven't thought about it since then. Oh, man, that's awesome, Jamie. That's awesome. So, um, okay, I want to uh, kind of change our path here for a second because I know something. In fact, Dan Hurley brought it up to me when I was talking to him. And uh, I want to I want you to talk about it because I know it's uh, a, a passion. You're very passionate about this. And I want you just to share some thoughts about smoking and <sighs> And <laughs> and your edu- you're bit, you've been very educational about smoking and uh, where does this come from? How did this come about? Yeah, I want you to talk. I want you to talk about this. Yeah, Can you, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. So where did where did this passion for educating people about the harms uh, harmful harmfulness of smoking? Talk to, me, talk to us about that for a second. Uh, about 25 or 6, 7, 8 years ago, a fellow from the uh, local um, cancer society, I guess he knew I didn't like smoking. I'm not sure how this, maybe I stopped in to get some literature. That's what it was. And then he called me and he said, Jamie, could you go talk to the fifth grade class in New Albany at Mount Tabor School about smoking? I said, well, I've never done that before. And then I went back and got some literature. And uh, I went and talked to him. I still remember the day. And I'm not sure what props I had at that point. I may, I probably took my saxophone. I said, I'll take my saxophone and play. And uh, But the next thing you know, I said, let's do this on a bigger scale. Let's do it for the whole school in the gym or in the auditorium uh, because I hate smoking. Oh, and that, uh, sure, the 90s, that's when smoking and Bill Clinton or fighting one another. You couldn't get a, a USA Today newspaper with the back page with it had the 50 states and it had a sentence or a little short paragraph about every state. There would always be one state that had something about smoking. Okay. They're going to abandon smoking in Aberdeen, North Carolina. You know, what this right. thing, smoking was very big. And then Monica Lewinsky came along with Bill Clinton. The smoking thing disappeared, went completely off the scene. And I read that North Carolina uh, legislators had met in Washington and they, tobacco people, and they met and they said to the legislators, you need to get Bill Clinton off of tobacco's back because we need to keep tobacco going. Next thing you know, Monica Lewinsky was on the front page of everything and that went on for a while. But during that time, 1998, uh, Congress and the tobacco companies came up with this uh, tobacco settlement. And they're going to give the states lots and lots of money uh, every year, which they've been doing. And the tobacco companies at that point immediately changed their their focus 
they had to make sure that when this money came into the millions of dollars every year to every state, they had to make sure that that money went to fix roadways, sidewalks, sewers. Don't you dare do anything to stop people from smoking or we're going to lose our income. So that that was one area of it. I got my piano, bass, and drums together. I got smoking literature together. I got my overhead projector. I made a ton of transparencies. I borrowed uh, good lungs and bad lungs from the uh, University of Louisville School of uh, Medicine. I still have them. And we went out and we played jazz and we promoted freedom and music. And then we said, and this is how you can lock yourself up by smoking, you know? Right. Picked a big cigarette. We passed out the quit easy smoking books, which I still have and still give out. Right. Uh, Next thing you know, kids in this area weren't smoking there as much. I still have people coming up to me. And they're like in their twenties now. Oh, you're Mr. Abersol. Yeah, I said, what school did did what school were you in when we came and did our program? He said, Oh, I was out in Fairmont, you know. They they remembered. I said, <laughs> What do you remember? Right. He said, Well, you played. Uh, oh, you had instruments. You played instruments, and uh, you had those lungs. I said, Right. I said, Did you ever <laughs> right. smoke? They, oh no, I'm not going to smoke. So anyhow, I've been fighting big tobacco with billboards on I-65 for ten or twelve years, which costs thousands of dollars. I print these books. I pay the guys to go out and play the school programs, and we introduce them to what tobacco can do to you, you know. As a matter of fact, I'm talking to uh, the Central Christian Christian churches in New Albany men's class Tuesday night, and I'm talking to them about smoking. Yeah. They want to know about smoking. It's it's fascinating that you're uh, you're behind this so uh, passionately because in jazz in our in our profession oh. right smoking is like uh, I mean it's like you can't even go to a jam session without people lighting yeah. up cigarettes and it drives drives me nuts. Now, so, uh, Bob, I hope I hope that's not the situation now. No, it's it's not. It's it's it used to be. It is right. very it's very different now. Oh, we grew, we grew up in it. You know? That's what you. It was just like nor. It was just commonplace. I mean, it was just like normal. Did you Did you ever hang your suit coat or your tie up on outside the house when you come home at night? Oh. Because or in the garage, uh, you couldn't go do a gig. It was. It smelled so bad. Yeah. You, the clothes you couldn't. You couldn't take them in the house. It was smelled no. so bad. You come yeah. home and you lay down in the bed, and your wife says your your hair stinks. You stink. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you yeah. stink, right? Yeah. So. Well, anyhow, that's and once I realized how much profit the tobacco companies were making off of dead people and their product, then I decided to fight them. Yeah, good and for I you, just, Jamie. This is I stopped people on the street. I was at Walmart yesterday or two days ago. And there's a lady. They're getting in the car with their groceries, and I'm right next to them. And I opened my door and I got my cart. And I said, uh, "I've been looking all over for you." I point to the lady. She turned up. <laughs> what? I said, I've been looking all over for you, and I put the groceries in. And I said, I just said that to get your attention, and I reached in, and uh, hang on. <laughs> she probably, Jamie, she had to think you're 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 crazy. Oh. And I, and I gave her a book. I said, Here, I've been looking all over for you. Yeah, good for oh, you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. I played a job two weeks ago. It's a white court dinner for the hospital. Everybody's got suit and tie on. It's a big deal. Okay. Yeah. We finish yeah. our part and we go outside. I load my car up and over here, 40 feet away, is a guy smoking a cigarette with a suit and tie on. I go around. I, hey, roll the window. Hey, come here. He comes over. And I said, I've been looking all over for you. 
and I hand him the book. I go like that and hand him the book. He says, oh, thank you. Wow. It was like a dying man wow. and a drink of water. He wow. says, oh, thank you. Oh, I wow. appreciate yeah. that. Thank yeah. you. That's awesome. I was there, and I, and I drive away, and I say, that might be the one that helps him to quit, and if he quits, it'll add years to his life. When oh, I was a kid, fantastic. I wanted to be a minister, a minister, Methodist church minister, and I can remember going into church, down the steps to the basement one day, and there's Reverend Keith, and I walked up to him, and I said, Reverend Keith, hi, I'm not going to be a preacher. Now, don't ask me why I decided not to be a preacher, but... <laughs> I've been preaching. There you go. Now you're, pre you're preaching. Yeah, right. Pre yeah. Yeah, and you're pre preaching. Creativity. Preaching jazz. I you love it. I want people to stay on the planet for a long time. But as I've gotten older, you got to be in good health or you're not yep. going to enjoy playing the piano. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly you gotta, right. you got to be in good health. you got to be in good health. So it's, the yep. first thing you got to do is take care of that. Absolutely. Okay, I got another question for you. All right. Uh, is it true? Is it true that you have a a street named after you there in Indiana? Well, uh, yes, uh, but I didn't name it. My dad did. Uh, where I live right now, I'm in the basement of my house. We've built on this house uh, one, two, two or three times. So it's just a ranch house from the front. But once you get in, it's a maze down here. And I've worked out of here since 1967. One of my first play-along record came out, and when we moved into this house, is that but where all the is that is that where they were recorded, Jamie? Right there in the house? Yes, not in this room. Well, yes, yeah. Piano was right in back of me here, wow. and we shut the door. And the bass player was in the next room. Shut that door. And the drummer was in the next room. We used headphones. I sit over here at the desk and say, "Don't rush, don't rush." <laughs> But all, all of this property here, and I don't know how many acres it is. I'm going to say it's uh, 20 acres, maybe 25 acres down through here. Used to belong to my, my father had a short section over there with his florist and a house. But all around him, like a horseshoe, was this farm that his, his relatives owned. The okay. two guys, they were bachelors. And when they died, he bought all this property. When you buy the property, he put two streets in. One of them was Abersold Court, just a short block, and the other one was kind of a, a L-shaped street. And he gave uh, each of us three boys two lots, and my my wife to be chose these two lots down here. My other two brothers chose them up the street in back of the floors, and it became. He sold one big lot to a church here, and sold another church a lot at the end of the property. So we got two churches here, and two Abersold uh, streets, Abersold Court and Abersold Drive. I think that's awesome, man. I think that's fantastic. Sometimes so, it hadn't happened in a while, but sometimes when I'm out doing a clinic overnight, someone will say, uh, "Mr. Abraham, I noticed you live you live on your street." I said, <laughs> "Yes, I do." I said, you know, I called my wife last night, and she told me somebody broke the lock on the street again. Oh, that is so funny. And there's a lock on the street. Yeah, oh, so uh, oh. I, I I have not moved very far from home, although I've been around the world. A lot, but right, I right. Like I like it right here, Bob. I I don't blame you. So now uh, I also understand, and this only makes sense because you're there in Indiana, for heaven's sakes. But I also understand you're a big basketball, a big basketball nut, which would make sense, right? Uh oh, here we go. Let's bring out the glory days. What's what's it say? Oh yeah, Jamie Abersaw 
world records, most consecutive free throws and most consecutive three-point shots by a jazz musician. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what's that number? I'm going to see if I can break. I want to see if I can break your record. What's the number most consecutive shots? Uh, Free throws is 53. You made 53 in a row? Okay, yeah. I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go out in my backyard later today. I'm gonna start practicing. <laughs> do you have my, to live in? Do you have to live in Indiana to beat that record? I guess you would. No, 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 no. You don't have to. Uh, okay. But I, I shot a lot of basketball, and uh, my record for three pointers is 26. But wow, uh, that's good. Wow. Uh, one time I hit. I don't know. There, there's a double rim down at a, a elementary school. You know, double rim. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And, and it might as well have a sign on it saying. Don't bother shooting here because I'm going to wreck every shot. <laughs> right. I just got a brand new basketball, and I went to stop by. It was a summer day, and I started shooting one, two. I'm shooting threes, and if the ball went over there, I would shoot from there. So I'm shooting all around 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And about that point, I said, I think I'm going to break my record of uh, 26. But I missed I think I missed 25 and I missed 28. I went on up in the 30s. But whatever I did, there was like 91%. But it just, it just felt so good, you know. But I've ruined my uh, my right shoulder from shooting too many three-point hook shots. So I can't, I can't shoot the ball now at all. So I haven't shot in about five years. Yeah, wow. So is your favorite movie Hoosiers? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, they have a remake with all the parts that were cut out. Oh, do they really? Yeah, it's been a year or so ago. I would love to see. Uh, the thing I read said, have you ever watched Hoosiers and maybe thought at certain points, oh, that's a sort of strange, you know, we went from this to this. They put in the parts that were cut out. Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to see that too. That's a yeah, great, that's, had a, that's they, a, had, they had a grand yeah. showing in Indianapolis and I was busy, but I really wanted to go up and I wanted to see the whole thing, the way it was put together because I think it would make more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I've a great... played it. Uh, uh, I've been by that school. Have you uh, really? Mile is it is it is it still an active school? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a small school, but I took a picture of the school and I got the picture on my wall somewhere. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, okay, I got another question for you too. Uh, is it true that that famous voice at the beginning of all those play along tracks, the one, two, a one, two, three, four, is that you? Oh yeah. <laughs> It's great. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. You know, they've used that. I've got somewhere here a cassette or a CD that someone sent me. It was a, a group in Europe. They took my count off and just inserted it in this. <laughs> so oh, that's, they, all, that's funny, man. I got a lot of jokes out of that. When I... When I got my uh, NEA National Endowment for the Arts Award in 2014, and I'm writing and emailing the lady as she gets the whole thing together, the video together that they're going to play in New York when I'm there with all the other people. I said, now, you got to have my uh, count off. She didn't know, I don't think, what the count off was. I says, you've got to start my video with that count off because people recognize my voice just by me saying one, two, one, two, three, four. So when I got to New York, I'd forgotten about that. My family's there. We're sitting. They got the big screen. We're in, uh, what's it called? Uh, Lincoln Center. Wynton Marcellus is there and oh. Jimmy's there and so forth. And they're starting to play my portion. And I said to myself, oh, 
I hope they start with a count off. And, <laughs> and they did. It was they great. <laughs> the screen is silent, you know, and it goes one, two, one, two, three, four. I said, great. You did it. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, oh, I've had people, I've had people that I've never met come up to me. They'll hear me in conversation and say, are you Jamie Aberso? And I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, I thought so. And they, they have a play-along record, and they can recognize my voice off of the count-off. That's pretty distinctive, isn't it? It sure is. You know, uh, something I want to mention real quick. You know, I held up this album, right? Your 251. Yep. But uh, I'm going to tell you a funny story about this. You'll get a kick out of it. One of my students who, who has studied jazz piano with me now for quite a long time, her and her husband, her name is Linda, and her husband, new husband here is Charlie, they literally put your 251 collection uh, on their album when they want they they crack open a bottle of wine and they want a romantic e- they want a romantic evening they put 251 on by Jamie Abersaw. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I love it. Isn't you that know, funny? Yeah, but you know a friend of mine, what's his name? Uh, he lives in LA. He's a trumpet player. He was in a hotel in California, in L.A. He's going up the elevator, and they're playing the 251 progression. He stays on the elevator to see if it didn't end the track. This was back for LPs. And sure enough, the next track starts with my count-off. He goes to his room. He calls down to the counter and wants just inquiring about the music. He wants to know where they got that and what that was. Uh, and they didn't say anything. He gets back on the elevator, and they've taken it off. But I thought it was interesting. Another one. That's so funny. I think it's the 251. A guy was traveling across Texas. He's got the radio on, and the guy, the the, the disc jockey is playing the LP, Volume 3. And when he gets through, he says, that was a Jamie Abrissow trio. <laughs> There's something about the repetitiveness of the part things, I guess, that appeals well, see, you, you had you had no idea that a couple in Texas would be using your two five one album as a romantic a romantic evening at home no. with a glass of wine and oh my gosh, that's great, so funny, that's cute. So, all right, Jamie, this has been so much fun. Uh, before we before we wrap it up for today, final words of encouragement, pearls of wisdom from Jamie Abersall to all the jazz piano skills listeners. The microphone is yours. Watch what you eat, watch what you drink, watch what you think. Use mental hygiene. Think about what you're going to think. You're okay. You can do it. Anyone can improvise. Scales and cards, bits and pieces of scales and cards is what's inside your mind. you got to get it out your fingers if you're a piano player. Listen, 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 listen. Stay connected to Bob. He's a good man. Thanks, (laughs) Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. Oh, thank you. I can't I can't even begin to express how grateful I am that you've come on Jazz Piano Skills. I'd love to have you back on in the in the future. Sure. Um, you know, you you like I said you you have been a blessing for thousands and thousands of jazz musicians around the world. Uh you certainly have been have, have had a profound impact on my life and like I mm. said I've I've known you for many many years even though this is the first time we've officially met. Yeah. Uh so I I want to on uh, for for myself and on behalf of all the thousands of jazz musicians who are now playing and enjoying this art form because of you, I want to extend a very heartfelt thank you. You're welcome. And tell them if they want that jazz handbook, just go to jazzbooks.com. Wonderful. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. jazzbooks.com. It's it's a, 
wealth of jazz materials and information. So check out Jamie's website, get his play alongs and uh, feel free to reach out to him. Yeah. And he'll, and, and he'll get back to you. I know it. That's Jamie. So Jamie, thank you again. You're welcome, Bob. I've really enjoyed it. That was simply too much fun. I never thought as a young boy growing up in the 70s and learning how to play jazz using Jamie Abersall materials that one day the two of us would be spending time together discussing jazz education on a thing called a podcast. <laughs> wow, what an honor it has been to spend time with Jamie. And I hope you have found this two-part interview to be insightful, motivating, and of course, beneficial as well. One of my mentors and teachers, Al Franzen, used to say to me after every lesson, never forget, the greatest thing about music is the people you meet through it. And the privilege of meeting and spending time with one of my jazz heroes, Jamie Abersall, simply confirms Al's sentiment 100%. Now, don't forget, if you are a Jazz Piano Skills member, I will see you online Thursday evening at the Jazz Piano Skills Masterclass. That's 8 p.m. Central Time. To discuss this podcast episode, this entire two-part series featuring Jamie Abersall in greater detail, and of course, to answer any questions that you may have about the study of jazz in general. And as always, you can reach me by phone through the Dallas School of Music at 972 382-8050 by email Dr. Lawrence, drlawrence at jazzpianoskills.com or my speak pipe, which is a handy nifty little widget found throughout the Jazz Piano Skills website. Well, there is my cue. That's it for now. And until next week, enjoy the journey, enjoy the amazing pearls of wisdom shared by Jamie Abersall. And most of all, have fun as you discover, learn, and play jazz piano.